All right, good morning. I'm so glad you're here this morning. It's good to see you. I got, uh, I was uh, helping check kids in and uh, the kid check, and so I didn't get to see everybody walk in. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, we have several things I want to draw your attention to. One of them is the brown envelope that is sitting in a cup holder near you. Um, all the information I'm getting ready to talk about that's inside of this, you can also get online if you just simply go to thechurchinmalvern.com, the loading screen, it'll say online worship guide, click that, and everything I'm talking about you can get to on your smartphone, because sometimes it's a little dark in here and have people have trouble seeing to write things down, so you have access to all of that. Um, so let me talk about what's inside of this. Um, right off the bat, you'll notice there's a giving envelope in there. Now, if you're our guest this morning, that is not in there for you. That's not there to coerce you or make you think that we expect you to use that. That's not why it's there. We only put that in there as convenience for those who came prepared today to give. So that's the only reason that's in there. Also, if you uh, notice, there's one of these, and this is what we call a connection card. Now, these are super important because the connection card is how you let us know about what next steps you're thinking about taking. It's how you uh, let us know even prayer requests, comments, things like that can all go on the connection card. And again, you can use the online version, and we'll be able to see it and read it very easily. But if you prefer the paper version, that's why it's in there. Um, at the end of the worship experience, you can drop the, uh, this paper version or the giving envelope if you needed it in one of the buckets that you find at the end of kind of where these rows are, and you just drop it right in there. Um, this is so important to us. While the giving envelope is not for everybody, the connection card actually is. Uh, before I pause and give you all a moment to get this started, um, let me remind you, uh, our small groups actually begin this week, this Wednesday. Um, and if you have not yet signed up, we want you to be a part. It is not too late to sign up. It's for every age group. We want the whole spectrum covered. And so we want you there. We want you there. Um, they start at 6 o'clock. And Bryce, what's your address? 1729 Royal Oaks. If you can't remember, I will not remember that. If you can't remember that, then ask Bryce and you can write it down. 1729 Royal Oaks. Uh, it will help us to know that you're coming just so that we can make sure we have enough food. Speaking of food, um, <laughs> I knew I was going to forget that. Speaking of food, um, if you want to bring a side dish or something, we have a sign-up sheet for that, and it's right over there by the popcorn at that table, and that's for this week. We'll have a sign-up sheet Wednesday night for the next week, so this is just for this coming week, and it, you can just sign up and you can bring something, uh, a side dish, and that will make sure we have plenty of food if everybody helps us out and, and we do that. And it's a good night. We get to, together at 6. The students are with all of us, the adults over there, together for the food. And then at 6.30, then the students will peel off across the street to, to my house, and we'll be meeting over there. And then we all come back together at the end um, at 7.30, I think, somewhere, somewhere. I'll look at my notes, but we all come back together at the end. So... If you want to be a part of the small group, please let us know. Just write small group on this. Um, if you're signing up a student or if you as a student are signing up yourself, then just put their student small group on there. 
And uh, if you want to help with food, bring a side item if you'll sign up over there. Now, I can't think of anything else I need to let you know about. Um, uh, let's see. That's probably it. So I am really glad to see you today. We're ending this series, but have no fear. If this is your first time today and you missed all the other parts, that's okay because you don't have to have all the other parts to be able to get everything out of today. So you picked a great day to be here. And we start a brand new series next week. I'm really excited about this brand new series too. So um, it's called Bad to the Bone, Bad as You Want to Be. And so it's going to be a good series. I'm excited about that. It is a four-week series as well, I think, maybe five. However many weeks are in October, I don't know. So, all right, I'm going to pray for us as we uh, move towards our teaching time right now. If you would just join me, let's uh, talk to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day, and I am so excited that we get to open your words and we get to talk about these, uh, these things that are so precious that can change our lives. And God, I just pray that you would guide us, that you would help us understand what you want us to understand. And God, may I just not get in the way of that. And God, we bring to you in this room our frustrations and fears. We bring to you uh, the things that we have hurt over this week. And God, I just pray that you would take those things and that you would do what only you can do, and that is to begin to help us make sense out of this life. And we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I am excited about this. We've been in a series that is called Twisted. Uh, the idea of this rope here, and you'll understand that more in just a moment, but the title of the series says, Twisted Stronger Together by Design. In other words, that's how God has designed it. And we get that from some ancient wisdom that God gave us in the Old Covenant, and we find it in Ecclesiastes chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, here's what the Bible says. The wisdom writer wrote this, Two are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other one can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Verse 12 says, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. This is where we get the idea of twisted, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. All right, week number one, here's what we talked about. We said that you, we all, myself included, need to find a voice to twist into our lives the voice of a Christ-following coach. I believe we all need in our lives a spiritual coach. Week number two, we said we need to twist the voice of a Christ-following encourager into our lives, someone who will encourage us. And we said that we, in turn, need to be an encourager for somebody else. That was week number two. Last week was week number three, and we said last week that we need to twist into our lives someone who is chasing after Jesus and that will charge or advance in this life alongside of us, with us, um, and we talked about that last week. This week, we're really talking about good guys and bad guys, two groups of people, 
But before I get there, I want to say this. This morning, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand you are in a safe place. Um, And you get a unique uh, opportunity this morning. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you're going to kind of get to look behind the curtain and peek behind the curtain of what is among the important things to someone who is following Jesus. And you get to look at that and see that. It's almost like you get to know before you go. You get to try before you buy. You're going to get to see. If someone chooses to become a Christ follower, what I'm talking about today really is not an option. It's something we must do. And you have the opportunity to look at that and to see and to understand these are some of the things that motivate, that challenge, that inspire, that that are added to our, this is something we must accomplish as a follower of Jesus. So you get to look at that today from the perspective of, hey, I'm not bought in. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sold on this yet, and that's, that's okay. I just wanted to give you that disclaimer so that you understand that today you get to peek behind the curtain, and we invite you to do that. Um, so here we are on week number four as we end this series, and I said we're talking about the good guys and the bad guys. Here's what I was taught growing up. I was taught, my parents taught me, Harley, you hang out with the good guys. Hang out with the good guys. Um, And so they taught me, seek friendships and relationships with the good guys. That's how I was raised. I was raised with, this is right and this is wrong. Very clearly, that's how I was right. Do this, and among those things that were part of this, um, go to church and listen to Christian music and that kind of thing. Do this. Don't do this. So this is good, Harley. This is bad. And what was on the bad list, it was like, don't listen to ACDC. I, I'm sorry, I may, uh, you may shudder and be shocked at this if, if that's what you're listening to on your way here. That's how I was raised growing up, though. Don't listen to this. Black Sabbath, they're out. Don't listen to this. Don't do this. So this is good. Listen to Christian music, Harley. Don't do this, Harley. This is bad. So pretty much I was raised with two groups. This group defined as good. This group over here defined as bad. And as I was raised, I was even told that the good group, they're trying to be good. And the bad group, they're actually trying to be bad. That's just how I was raised. So say yes to them, Harley, good. Say no to this, Harley, that's bad. And you know, honestly, we can apply that old uh, that old way of thinking there, we can apply it to really any area of our lives. And it doesn't matter where we are on the spectrum. Everyone else may call me bad, but for me, that's good. And so I would be saying, I need to hang around the people who do the things that I do. That is good. And I need to not be around the people who don't do the things I do. That is bad. It doesn't matter which end of the spectrum we're on. We all have a good group. We all have a bad group. We just may not agree on what's good and bad. That applies to politics, certainly. It applies to politics. Everyone in this camp, they say this is good. And everyone over here, all the others, this is bad over here. And it doesn't matter which one you're saying is good, yours is good and all the others are bad. It applies even in religion. Everyone who agrees with me, we might say, that's the good group. And everybody else, that's the bad group. 
We can take that thinking and apply it to really just about every area of life. Politics, people, religion. And that line of thinking would say, stick with the good group and avoid the bad group, however that might be defined. This morning, we're kind of reaching the culmination of everything we've talked about. We have said that we need to twist into our lives three powerful, highly important kinds of people, three kinds of people. And we've looked at, in order to do that, some lives. We've looked at, uh, we've learned from Barnabas, a guy named Barnabas, that was week one, uh, two. We learned from Paul, that was week one, Paul and Timothy. Week three was Paul again. But this last week of this series, we want to learn from maybe the ultimate relationship. We're going to learn some things from the life of Jesus himself. And as always, Jesus really mixes this up for us. And as always, Jesus changes everything. And we're going to take a look at how he has changed this. So here we go. Uh, Let's see, last week we read and talked about a guy who wrote the book of Acts. His name is Luke. And now we're going to look at something else Luke wrote in the New Covenant. It's Luke chapter 19, and we're in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho, and he made his way through the town. And when we say town, it's no ordinary little town. It's not a village. This is, think of this like Laguna Beach. Um, This is a really special place, Jericho. It is fancy schmancy. Um, it's like 70 degrees year-round, so it was highly sought after. They had lots and lots of fresh water and springs, so it was, it was a really, really nice place. Surrounded by desert, we're talking about really like Laguna Beach without the ocean. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Lots of fresh water, palm trees were everywhere, and as you might expect, there was also lots of of money in this area, and it was plush. It was a resort for people who were wealthy, and some of the rich people, I mean, they would have like winter homes that they, and so they would travel there for the winter. It was a really special place, and anywhere where you find that much money and that much stuff, you're also going to find some organized crime, and that's there as well, and here's where we pick up the story now, verse 2. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very, very rich. If you grew up going to church as a child, you might be familiar with the song. Does anyone know the song about Zacchaeus? It wasn't by Black Sabbath or ACDC. Zacchaeus was a wee, a wee little man. How do you spell wee? W-E-E, is it two E's? Yeah. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Now, this song can really uh, mislead us. It kind of gives us the idea that there was this little fella, Zacchaeus. And, yeah, he was a little shady, just kind of a little bit of a shady, small businessman. That's the idea that the song gives us. Well, I want you to know that that is nowhere near the truth. So he may have been 
we in size. But oh my goodness, he had a huge reputation. This guy was a giant. He was like a gangster. And not just like a thug, like a gangster. This morning, he, he will be for us Dirty Z. <laughs> Dirty Z. And th- let me tell you a little bit about Dirty Z. He really was a legal criminal. In other words, the Roman government gave him permission to be this organized crime figure. He, was, he had permission to do what he did, even though it was very wrong, very wrong. He was a thief. He would just, he got to take financially anything he wanted from anybody. He was a thief. He used extortion in order to get what he wanted. This guy really was. He was Dirty Z. It was like, uh, it would be like the IRS today if it were run by the mob. That's what Dirty Z was part of. And that's how he got the name, actually, Dirty Z. You, You can look that up. So Dirty Z, he was Jewish, so he had the same uh, heritage as all of these people where he lived and that he cheated and that he extorted. He was Jewish, but at some point, Dirty Z just gave up on God, and he did not follow the God path that, all, that so many of the other Israelites were following. Dirty Z didn't do it. Um, he, uh, instead of falling in love with God, Dirty Z fell in love with money. That's all he was about. To make things worse, all the money that he collected for the Roman government didn't just go into a national treasury, really. It was used to pay for the army that had invaded all of this land and taken them captive as citizens. They weren't citizens, but they were ruled by another nation. So the money that he raised went to keep that nation of Israel subdued and under the foot of the Romans and to pay for those soldiers. And the Roman government, for him to collect all of that and to do it very well, because he was great at extortion, he did it very well or he couldn't have kept his job. To reward him, he got to collect anything he wanted over and beyond what the Roman government required. And everything over that, he got to keep for himself. So that was Dirty Z. And he was hated by his fellow Jewish people. They didn't claim him. They didn't claim him as part of them. They hated him. They hated him as a traitor. Now, he was a cheap tax collector, which meant he was not the low man on the gangster food chain. He was up high, Dirty Z. He had some, uh, some clout. Uh, you know, one thing that I think about when I think about him, not just that he was hated because, oh, oh he was, but I think about how he must have been feared how the people in in Israel, especially here in Jericho in this area, were terrified of Dirty Z. They were powerless. They couldn't stand up to him. They couldn't say no to him. Whatever he required, he got from them. 
Because if they tried to say no, then Dirty Z could absolutely take everything that person or that family had, and he could take it all. So they were terrified of Dirty Z. They couldn't stand up to him. They couldn't get, they, they just, there was nothing they could do. He was so rich. He had the best food. He had the best houses. Forget the Lamborghini. He had the Camel Burghini. The Lamborghini didn't hold enough water. I mean, this guy could go forever. He had absolutely everything he wanted. Some people say in the New Covenant that he was among the wealthiest people that the New Covenant actually talks about. So how amazing is that? So he was no wee man after all. He was, he was a man of great clout. People were afraid of him. You know, we look at that and we think to ourselves, okay, I, we can understand perhaps that the, the, the people in Jericho might look at this thing that's getting ready to go down because something's getting ready to go down here. The thing that's going down is Jesus is coming on the scene here in Jericho. And people could look at this and they could say, well, you know, I could see uh, as much as they were against uh, the Israelites, against prostitution, they could look at this whole scenario and say, you know, I can understand how Jesus could, his heart could go out toward these prostitutes who in that culture, if they had if, if they did not have someone in their life making money for them, especially a male, they had nowhere to go to live and survive in this harsh land. And so they would have to resort to things like this. And you could see the heart of Jesus going out to someone who is trapped and have, they have no, no other choice but to try to survive. But when you see what's getting ready to happen between Jesus and Zacchaeus, that makes absolutely no sense to these people. They could see the heart of Jesus going out to a prostitute before they would ever see the heart of Jesus going out to someone like Zacchaeus. They just wouldn't understand that. And the reason is, well, Zacchaeus was dirty Z. He was a bad man. He was a bad guy. This guy didn't just sin. This guy ruined people. He ruined families and generations. He ruined them. And the people in this town had relatives that Dirty Z had already ruined. This is what happens now. Verse 3. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Every time I read this, I just can't get that song out of my mind. By this time, Jesus is really famous. I mean, word has traveled and word has spread. Jesus has, uh, he has healed people. Jesus has already raised some people from the dead, and word has spread. So Jesus is walking into Jericho really kind of like a superstar. That's not what he was claiming. He didn't walk in like a superstar, but as they were looking at him, they were thinking a superstar has shown up, 
And Zacchaeus knew he wanted to get a look. Verse 5, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and he called him by name. This is pretty significant. This was a complete stranger walking into town. They had never met. Zacchaeus knew who he was, Jesus, but Jesus shouldn't have known him. And he stops, he looks at him face to face, and he calls him by name. Can you imagine that? And here's what happens. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Okay, this is another big deal. This is something we just kind of tend to brush over, but I, I want you to understand what a big deal this is. If a Jewish person is going to be inside the home of another person, that is saying, I want a relationship with you. I want a friendship with you. Our lives are not going to be casual. I will be a deep, respected friend of yours if they were to walk foot, step foot into a home, and even more so if we're going to share a meal. But just to step inside of that home, it's not like us today. Someone comes in your home, they just come in your home, right? In this day, if you went inside someone's home, it was an enormous sign of you and me, we're going to be in a relationship. We're going to be in this friendship, and it's not going to be casual. This is a big deal. So Jesus walks up to him and says, I'm going to be a guest in your home today. Now think with me the reaction of all these people who were law-abiding Israelites following the law, and they hear Jesus, this rabbi, say this to Dirty Z. And the reaction, what are you talking about? Who is this Jesus? I'm not so sure I want anything to do with Jesus now. That's what happened. Verse 6, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Now, we don't really understand. Vanessa and I were talking about this earlier this week. We had listened to the same teaching on Zacchaeus. And we were talking about this. This would be like today, Jesus, uh, well, not today, because that couldn't happen today. This would be like in the 90s. Jesus walking into the home of Hugh Hefner. All right, get that in your mind. Jesus walking into the home of Dirty Z would be like Jesus walking into the home of Hugh Hefner. This is a big deal. They can't believe it. And here's our first big point for today. Your sin doesn't keep Jesus from seeking you. Your sin, my sin, doesn't keep Jesus from seeking me. Your sin doesn't keep Jesus from seeking you. All right, so that's from 
the sin perspective. Now think about this. If someone's sin doesn't keep Jesus from seeking them, then that means someone's sin can't keep us from seeking them. This is big. If it didn't stop Jesus, it can't stop us. It shouldn't stop us. See, Dirty Z was not characterized by being we. He was characterized by being a very wicked, wicked man. But the interesting thing to me about this is Dirty Z was, he was interested. For some reason, he was interested in Jesus. He showed interest. As wicked as he was, he showed interest. Wow. Interesting. Next big point. No sin. There is no sin that will keep Jesus away from seeking us. All right, it sounds a lot like what I just said, but here's what I mean by that. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah, our sin is not going to keep him from seeking us, and there is not a sin that will keep him from seeking us. No sin. Doesn't matter how, how bad it is on the bad list that someone has labeled and said, here's the worst list, whatever it is, there is no sin that will keep Jesus from seeking us. There, it doesn't exist. There is no sin that will keep him from seeking us. Jesus already knows. If we start telling people the bad stuff that's on our bad list that we do, we're going to start with the real easy stuff, aren't we? Well, I did this, I did that. We're not going to really go to the bad, bad, bad stuff. We're not going to go there because we don't know what the reaction would be. We're just not going to go there. But guess what? Jesus already knows. He knows the stuff we're not telling other people. He knows the stuff that other people don't know, and we may never tell them. He already knows, and that did not keep him from seeking us. He knows, and yet he still wants me, and he still wants you. Now think with me. What does that say about how we view and how we love, how we respond to the people that we might think are on a bad, very bad list. If it didn't stop Jesus, should it stop us? And why would it if it didn't stop Jesus? Here's another big point. Some of us think that we're not all that bad, especially in light of that person. Some of us think that, yeah, we, we got some problems, we got some things, but we're not all that bad. We're not like that. Some of us think that. Some of us live that way and we make decisions that way. We think, okay, we're good. We're pretty good. Now, over here we've got the terrorists, we've got serial killers, and whoever else you want to lump in that, they're bad. Good, bad. We're pretty good. Yeah, we got some problems, but we're not that. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this. Here's the truth. There is only one good, one 
not one good thing. There's only one good person. And everyone else is equally bad. There is one good and everyone else is bad. And that one good had to come and die for everyone else. Jesus actually said, I came for sinners. I came for sinners. It's as if Jesus is saying, the only way that we can go beyond this point with Jesus, the only way we can go beyond this point is if we acknowledge I am a sinner and there is nothing good in me. Look at it like this. The gap between me and Hitler, the gap between me and Hitler is much smaller than the gap between me and Jesus. The, all the good in my life, everything about it, the gap between me and Hitler is much, much smaller than the gap between me and Jesus. But that's not the way we think. But that's how God thinks. That's probably more important. You see, Jesus didn't come here to be a friend of everyone and also, to include in that, also a friend of sinners. Jesus only is a friend of sinners. That's it. Jesus is only a friend of sinners. There's Jesus and then there's everyone else. Sinners are all right here, all on the same level. We like to, to make them bigger or worse or these aren't as bad. That's not how God sees it. He doesn't view it that way. There's him and then everyone else. And only a person like Dirty Z is a candidate for a relationship with Jesus. And that's the truth. And the crowd missed it. They just, they just missed it. They, they, it just didn't sink in for them at all. All they could see is how good they were and how bad he was, how good they thought they were. Here's what happens. Verse 7. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. So, I mean, we've all heard about Notorious B.I.G. Well, they had all heard about Dirty Z, Notorious W.E.E. That's all they knew. I mean, when you think of it, think, think of it like this. The, their view of Zacchaeus was this for, you know, what we can think of. It would be as if a Jewish person during World War II were to say, you know what? I think I'll go work for Hitler. I think I'll go work for Hitler. That is how, that the view that Jewish people would have towards that person, that's exactly how they viewed Zacchaeus the traitor. He was notorious. 
they're looking at their own lives and are saying, you know what, at least we have worked hard for God to love us. We have worked hard and we've earned it and we deserve that love. This guy hasn't done anything to try to earn love. We deserve it. He doesn't. And as we look at that, if that becomes our attitude, I I just want to be honest. If someone thinks they're a believer and that's their attitude, I just want to say it sounds to me like a very short trip to hell with that perspective and that attitude. Because Jesus says there are no exceptions to the kind of person that he will accept. No exceptions. The requirement is sinners only. We have to be able to say, I can't be good enough to deserve him. He died and walked out of that tomb alive for me on my behalf, and I didn't deserve it. Verse 8 starts off with, meanwhile, in other words, some amount of time has passed. We don't know how much. It may have been minutes or hours. We have no idea. But some amount of time in a relationship between Dirty Z and Jesus, some amount of time has elapsed. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. This is Dirty Z's response to being in a relationship with Jesus. Something happened in that relationship. Jesus brought to the relationship no condemnation. If anyone could condemn, it would be Jesus, right? He's perfect. He's God. He brought no condemnation. He brought no rejection. He brought no shame. And Jesus knows exactly who Dirty Z is. But yet, he still is seeking a relationship with Dirty Z. And a result of that relationship, Dirty Z changes. For him, everything changed. Everything changed because of that relationship. And here's a big point. Love, not laws, lead to change. The rules that Dirty Z grew up with did not change him. Love did. There could be someone across the street over in front of the Ritz movie theater and you have no idea who they are. Maybe they're walking a dog or something. I don't know. And I give you a piece of paper, a list, and on that is a list. This is how you need to go treat that person. And let's say that I tell you, I I need you to treat that person like a king, you know. Obviously, they're not a king. But I say, that's how you need to treat that person. Uh, And when you walk up, don't make eye contact, and you need to bow very low. And if you're ready to leave, you need to walk backwards. Don't look at them in the eye. And just, you know, just... That's how you need to treat them. Walk across the street. Would you go please do that? And you're not going to do it. I wouldn't either if somebody told me to do that. I'm not going to do it because I'm not going to take a list of behaviors and I'm not going to go then apply it to that person. I'm not going to do it. You wouldn't either. But if a hero walks in, whoever that is for you, 
If your hero, the person you idolize, were to walk into this room, it would be a a much different scenario. We would actually begin to trip all over ourselves to get close to that person. We would we would be moved to act differently towards that person to the point that we would probably not even realize that we were kind of being stupid, fumbling all over ourselves so that we could be around that person. And that is, I would say, a genuine change in behavior. And here's why. Because the motivator is not the law. The motivator that I didn't read a list. This is how you act with this person. So that's what I'm going to do. No, the motivator is love. It is my love, my respect for that person. That's the motivator. Whatever it's going to take for me to get close to them. And in this scenario, Jesus is the hero. And in our lives, Jesus is the hero. And it is our love for him, our respect, our admiration for him that makes us trip all over ourselves to get close to Jesus. And knowing that that any sin in my life gets in the way of my closeness to Jesus means I'm going to try to get over it. I'm going to try to get away from it. When that sin tries to latch onto my life, I'm going to try to confess it, and I'm going to try to get away from it because I want more and more and more of Jesus. And that's what Dirty Z experienced right there. It was love. It was not the law. Speaking to Christ followers, if you want to open the door, if you want that door to open, the door always opens with love. That's what Jesus used with me. It's what Jesus used with you, and it's what he uses with everyone else. And that's what we have to do as well. That's what we have to do. Here's the big point. We must develop relationships on purpose. Love opens the door. And that door opens for us to walk them toward Jesus. Here's how Jesus responded to what Dirty Z said. Verse 9. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham, as opposed to what everyone else had just said. This man has shown himself. Not the others. This man has shown himself. Boom! Salvation. Right there. Do you notice how salvation is not a list of steps? That as Jesus is explaining this, salvation is a person and he showed up at Dirty Z's house. And Dirty Z responded and he entered into a relationship with Jesus, salvation. And Jesus then says, I I love this, I really said everything before so I could get to this. The implications of what Jesus says next are enormous. Verse 10, for the Son of Man, Jesus speaking, for the Son of Man came, he's describing himself, came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus Christ said, I am here to seek 
to seek the lost. I am here to save the lost. And salvation is not a list of steps following the law. Do this and then this and then this. Salvation is a person. Now, I want you to understand this. Since Jesus left, Jesus used to introduce himself to people. Dirty Z, I'm going to your house. He doesn't do that anymore. Since Jesus left, Jesus left us with the job of being that introduction, introducing other people to Jesus. He allows us to be a part of that. It still involves a relationship, but first it's going to be a relationship with another follower of Jesus. It's still a relationship. He uses people in relationship to walk other people to the person of salvation so they can be in a relationship. It's not about following the steps to getting good with God. Jesus actually seeks, goes after the lost. He's looking for them. And I would say he finds every single lost person that he seeks. And who does he seek? All of them. But then he says, and he saves the lost. Now don't lose me. Stay with me. He saves the lost. Every single one. He saves the lost. Don't lose me. What is the lost? It's the person who says, I'm lost. I'm lost and I need you, Jesus. And he saves that lost person. See, there's a lot of people who don't know Jesus. A whole lot. Uh, most. But he'll only save the lost. The person who says, I, I'm not lost. I, I'm, I'm not lost. Jesus has nothing for them. He still seeks them. But he can't save the person who says, I'm not lost. He has nothing for them. If they can't admit it, he has nothing for them. But he still seeks them. Every single one. He seeks every single one. The New Covenant tells us in 1 Timothy, it says that God desires that everyone, everyone be saved. He seeks them all, but he can only save the lost. You see, the people who think that they are found, they'll never be found. The people who think that they don't have a trouble, that they don't have a struggle, they don't have the problem, they don't have the sin problem, they will never be found. But he still seeks them. Every single person who has ever admitted to Jesus, I'm lost and I need you to be found, 
they have been found, every single one. Do you realize that he already actually knows who's going to admit that they are lost? He already knows. And he already knows who's going to continue to live blinded, convincing themselves that they're not lost. He already knows. But he seeks them anyway. He seeks them all. And he saves those who say, yes, 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 I'm lost, that's me. And he saves them. But he seeks them all. And the implications are huge. So since by his design, God's design, people are introduced to him through other people, through relationships. That's the primary way. He has done it in other ways. We find it in the New Covenant. But the primary way is through relationships. Now think with me. Jesus knows who will ultimately admit that they're lost. But I don't know. And and you don't know. We don't know. So we seek them all too. We seek them all, just like Jesus did. We don't know if that person is ever going to admit, I'm lost, I'm lost, I need a hero, I need Jesus. We don't know. So we seek them. We, Jesus knows, but we don't, and we seek them all. Jesus sought them all. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, a church is a soul-saving organization, or it is nothing. If the salt exercises no preserving influence on that which it surrounds, what is the use of it? So it all means this, this morning. Here's our bottom line. We seek them to start a relationship with them, to walk them toward Jesus. And we act toward them with love, just like Jesus did. And over the course of time, we allow them to decide if they are willing to admit that they're lost. And whether they do or whether they don't, that's their choice, and we still love them. We don't give them a handout with a list of rules. Here's what you need to do. We just give them a hand of kindness and a hand of friendship. We don't ask them to whitewash their lives and get everything in order, or at least pretend that way before they come. No, no, no. We just go help them wash their car. We don't ask them to do better. We just simply freely admit that we can't even be good enough. We're in the same boat. We don't condemn them. Jesus didn't. We serve them. We don't shame them. Jesus didn't. We serve them. We open the door of relationship. And that doorknob that turns to open that door, that is love. Jesus ultimately knows everyone who will choose him. We don't. We just keep turning the doorknob. We just keep turning the doorknob one person at a time, one life at a time, one relationship at a time, one act of service and kindness at a time. So we seek them to start a relationship with them, 
to walk them toward Jesus. We don't, we don't predetermine who will or will not. We have no idea. There's a lot of things we could say about that word predetermined. But here's one thing I know for sure. Here is what I know is predetermined. I know this. Those who respond to the seeking of Jesus and they admit, I'm lost and I need him, they will be in relationship with Jesus. And of all the things I don't know about that word predetermined, I know this. Those that won't respond to Jesus seeking them and won't admit that I'm lost and I need him, they won't be in a relationship with Jesus. And I know this. I don't know. I don't know who is. I don't know who is going to respond that way, and I don't know who won't. So like Jesus, we seek the lost. Jesus didn't say we have to know. He just said go. That's his business. Just go. Seek him. And he will save the ones, every single one, who admits, I'm lost and I need you, Jesus. We're never too bad. We're never too bad to come to Jesus. We can only be too late. You see, I, I have absolutely nothing good to offer him. I don't. My best. I have nothing good, even at my best, nothing good to offer Jesus. And here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He says, I will take it all. In fact, he says, I demand to take it all. I don't just want some of your badness, Harley. I will take it all. You can't give me just some of it. You can only give me all of it. All. He says, I save it all or I save none of it. It's not a situation where I can say, okay, Jesus, um, you take the big ones, but I'm going to handle this on my side. So you do some, Jesus, and then I'll work on some, and I'll do better over here, and I'll do some. You do some, I'll do some. He says, huh, it doesn't work that way. I save it all, or I save none of it. I'm not going to share this with you. I save it all because I'm the only one who can. He carries it all or he carries none. I am either fully lost, and I admit to him, I don't have enough, or I choose to try to carry it, and he doesn't. But regardless, no matter what I choose, Jesus still seeks. And if I can simply respond to him and say, I'm lost, then he saves. And we don't know. We don't know if that person is going to respond to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm lost. We don't know. So we just keep opening the door with love, with love and service and kindness. Why? Why would we do that? One reason. Because Jesus is seeking them. 
So we seek them to start a relationship with them, to walk them toward Jesus, and it all lands right here. What we've talked about today is truth, but what are we going to do with it? If you're a Christ follower, here's what I say. Every follower of Jesus, we should always, always, always be investing into a relationship with someone who is not yet following Jesus for the purpose of walking them toward Jesus. And I would simply ask for you, who is that? Who is that in your life? Are you investing? Are you twisting your life together with someone who's searching? And then I would say, be intentional in that relationship. Be intentional. And here's the last thing. If we don't have that relationship right now, then I would say, go find that person. Go find them and serve them. Go find them and serve them and be intentional. And then over the course of time in that relationship, be ready to share with them the reason you have hope. My friends, that's why if you're a follower of Jesus, that's why you are still here. That's why. It's not because you have good genetics. This is the reason you are still here on this planet. As Charles Spurgeon said, a church is a soul-saving organization or it is nothing. That's why we're here. Let's pray. Father, you told us in Timothy, you told us that you desire that Everyone, everyone be saved. And Jesus, you specifically said that you came here, the reason you came here was to seek the lost and that you were willing to save every single person who would admit, Jesus, I'm lost, I need you. And so Jesus, I just pray that we would be encouraged and challenged to twist our lives with other people who are searching like Zacchaeus was searching so that we can walk with them, beside them, toward you, Jesus. And whatever they decide, that's their decision. But may we be a part like you've asked us to be a part. May I never stop being intentional in my relationships with people who are searching for you, Jesus. May I never. It's in your name that I ask these things. Amen.